to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. All right, this is a really quick um, conversation with my ex-roommate, Dave Johnson. I'm visiting Seattle, and um, he, uh, Dave, I, um, I don't know what we were talking before, but I just want you to know you, you helped me a lot living with you, and you've always been an honest stand-up guy, so thank, thanks for all your help, and I, I just want to have you, I'm ending my podcast, I just want to make sure I, at, at least I put people that helped me over the years on the show and you know talk to them and... Uh, well, anyway, that's a very nice sentiment. Thank oh, you. and Dave, make sure you take the mic all the way close to your mouth. I have oh. a really cheap equipment. <laughs> oh, well, nothing's changed. <laughs> Put a black mic like some of the John Stelliano's movies. <laughs> so, yeah, closer maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This close. Yeah, it's all um, right. Here we go. Um, so I, I met you 1999 yes. at the Adult Video News Convention. That's correct. In Las Vegas. And I met you through um, Tanner Manu and Brody Stevens. And so, how, how did you know? I mean, Tana, if you don't, Brody, you don't have to use names, but I guess you were watching I, a I'm show. A, I was a contractor in Seattle at the time, and uh, I was doing work at TCI Cable, uh, remodel work. And um, I also, uh, I also had a friend of mine uh, whose son had uh, a cable access show i don't remember the name of the show um but he uh he did a fairly controversial um show on tci cable and uh so between that and me working there i also ran into um tana and brody they didn't know me i just you know was there a couple times when they were doing their you know, set up and what have you. Isn't that crazy? I've known you 17 years. I never knew this. I just yeah. figured you were just watching their show and you knew them, but no, I didn't know you actually I, met. I, literally, I never watched their show. I just <laughs> met, them met them in the thing. And then when, uh, then in, it was at the Sahara in Las Vegas when um, Tana and Brody came down and were doing their, their show. They were doing a, you know, uh, a remote so anyway, they came down, and I was at the Evil Angel booth behind the counter. This must be uh, at least '98 or earlier, right? Because '99 they moved been, uh, to Venetian. Yeah, this was um, this was ninety ninety. Yeah, she's ninety six, I think, or ninety five. Okay, so Somewhere you know him. There. So you you knew those guys like twenty years now. Yeah, because I met yeah, you ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, TCI Cable. I was doing work in their thing probably in ninety four. Okay, ninety three somewhere's in there. Um, but they were, we just recognized each other. Sure. You know, visually saw each other and was like, oh, hey, you're from Seattle. And we got talking. And, uh, and of course, those guys are very outgoing and easy to talk to. Yeah. And, uh, and they're looking for any kind of way to, to um, improve their show. Not that I was improving their show. It's just that I'm behind the counter with the girls. And so, obviously, maybe I have a, an ability to help them talk to the girls. Um, which wasn't the case because those guys are pretty good at talking to women. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the last time Brody went with Trina, really. After that, he yeah. really didn't go again. Nothing yeah. against porn, but it just, just doesn't work out. But that was my first trip to 
Vegas, and and it no, was. No, you would have come the year after. It was the year after. I went. I went. Or, oh, I went to 1999 when Brody and Tina. Yeah. We drove from his house in L.A., and that was my first trip to Vegas right. ever. And um, so, I mean, they they knew a lot of people, but yeah, it was very strange to see John because he's you know in that business he's the biggest guy in the business, right? Uh, um, at the time, well, there's a number. Yes, well, he you know the Gonzo porn and. And uh, all that type of thing. John is, you know, one of the fathers of that. Yes. Um, he's very good at that particular thing. It's kind of nice to watch that type of porn where they're, where, oh, hello, miss, hello. <laughs> and then John has his, his uh, butt man shtick that he uses when he's very effective at it. So, yeah, I was, at that time, yeah, sure, he was. Yeah, well, he still is way up at the top, sure. but there's a lot of people in the in the pornography industry. And we headed off because, of course, it helped mm -hmm. that you're from Seattle and things like that. But um, I think we were talking about this a couple of days ago, and people who are going to convention these days, they, they don't know how amazing the Evil Angel booth were. No. Because uh, I'm sure it's nice still, but it's, it's very uh, modern, metal, and mm -hmm. uh, well-made construction. But... Back in the day, when you're involved with mm -hmm. Bob Lee and uh, Brockton, yes, these how would you describe the what they were using for that? Um, the, the I think the idea behind it is is to look like a a dive kind of bar almost, yeah. because it was all made out of wood and wood paneling and what have you. And it, and when you construct it and when you break it down to the leaf, mm -hmm. it, it, it came it, apart it, in panels. Yeah, and, it was involved quite a bit of work. Yes, absolutely, very heavy, and you got to move it and store it again and. and you know all that type of thing year after year so i was involved in that um basically from then on for the next probably dozen years yeah if not longer until they decide to go to the like a modern look it That's almost looked correct. like a nokia kind of modern setup yes you know? yes yeah. yeah but yeah. i love the old style or ikea you mean ikea ikea yeah. i um i like the old setup because they had this carnival. all the neon signs yeah it, it had mm -hmm. this carnival feeling to it right and Evil Angel back then was so different by the company because it was old school, fun, and they probably had the best directors. And oh, yeah. most of the top non-contract performers want to be at the Evil Angel booth. So, yes. yeah, it, it you know it, I guess it, like anything else in life, it changes. But you, um, Bob and Brockton, did a magnificent job, and I just I really miss that old setup. It's almost like yeah. remember that show on uh, NBC Cheers? It's yes. like it's yeah. where all the fun people want to drink in Boston. Well, yeah. all the pervert came to the Evil Angel booth, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were quite a few of them there behind the counter and in front of the counter. Um, but yeah, no, I would agree with you. I enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun because um, I was part of the setup crew and then yeah. tear it down. And then we would just do the maintenance during the show and sure. any little things that they needed us to do. And um yeah, it, it was so. It was a really a nice thing to do. A lot of fun for me, but uh, those uh, those of it, those days have ended. And I guess you met John through one of the economic conference or something, right? I actually yes, uh, John. Um, I I don't know many people know this, but John has a has a degree, a college degree from the from UCLA in yeah. economics. He's he's a pretty sharp character. And um, and he has an ongoing interest in in that type of thing, primarily from the free market perspective. And so I 
was going to the um, – at that time, there was a libertarian magazine, free market magazine called uh, Liberty, yeah. and it was published in Port out of Port Townsend, Washington. And every year, almost every year, they would have a Liberty Editors Conference. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, I made it a point to go that go to that because it was really interesting. Like I met David Friedman there, um, among other people of that stature. And David Friedman is Milton yes, Friedman's son. That's correct. And he, yeah. He's he's super libertarian guy. And, yes. Uh, um, well, can you hold hold on for a second? Sure. Okay, sorry, we're back. So you were so it's a Liberty magazine, and yes, uh, out of Port Townsend. Port Townsend, yeah. And um, anyway, they would have their Liberty conferences every not every year, but maybe every other year they would have it. And this yeah. one happened to be in Tacoma, and uh, I was at the conference, and it was the early it was uh, early on a Saturday. It was the first um, session, and I don't remember who the speaker was. But most everybody there was wearing a suit and tie and or was at least business casual. Yeah. And um, most of them would be like um, instructors and uh, professors and, you know, yeah. th that people that would be interested in economics. And uh, I was sitting in the back of the room and the chair next to me was the only one that was empty. Everything else was full. And I see this guy walk in the door who's with shorts on and I look and I go, oh, shit, that's a butt man. I recognized him right away because I, you know, consumed a lot of his uh, work, yeah, <laughs> so to speak. But you didn't know at the time he was a libertarian. He I didn't that. know. I didn't know any of that. But you know, so you must be really surprised. Oh yeah, I, I was like, well, plus he's a little bit out of place in the sense that he's wearing shorts and you know, not flip flops. I don't think, but he was, you know, he was pretty casual. Not. Less yeah. than business. That's all California. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but he came in and he, you know, he had the brochure and everything yeah. for the convention. He was obviously a participant with the name badge and everything. And, uh, he, he came in and he looked around and the only place to sit down was next to me. Yeah. So he sat down there and then we started talking at, at different times. And when did you tell him, did you tell him right away you knew who he was or? Well, we, we listened through the session and then cause we were sitting next to each other, we spoke to each other and then, um, uh, we got talking and then, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. Yeah. We had similar interests and, um, I, I don't know if I really brought up the fact that I knew who, who he was right away yeah. um, because that wasn't the purpose of the convention. Yeah. But um, it was for me to be talking porn with him. But, you know, we had lunch that day and and uh, I think we had dinner or lunch the next day or something. Wow. So that quickly you guys yeah, got it off? We, we yeah. did. We Yeah, we had a fairly common interest. Well, economics and porn. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that was the... Two things that kind of brought us together, and then of course, sports. well, you know, uh, whenever I have a conversation with you, I think about two things: um, dismal science. Mm -hmm. um, was it? Uh, no, it wasn't David Ricardo. Who said that? Malthus. That he did the oh, whole thing of uh, that could uh, be. I don't remember, but that he, could he be. did think about. Yes, it's terrible because the the growth the growth of um, population cannot. The food production of food cannot match the growth of food. Therefore, it's inevitable that all these terrible things going to happen, right? Starvation, things like that. Yeah, it's uh, the the difference between that um, the um, the exponential curve mm -hmm. of of population growth as opposed to the the linear um, straight line geometric um, of of food production. Right. So, but what they didn't anticipate is that. Uh, 
innovation and creativity in, in, in science and yes. uh, food and production, things like that, right? Absolutely. Um, so, so it's dismal science mm -hmm. meets, and you know, you've heard this uh, uh, phrase, uh, how do you say it? Demsel in stress. You know, you see this mythology where mm. a girl's tied up to a tree and dragons guarding her. No. And a nice show. Demsel? The, the, the oh, damsel in distress. distress. Right. Oh, okay. So it's right. uh, dismal science means damsel science right here. Because right. I think out of all those groups, if you made a Venn diagram, mm -hmm. one group is all econ, another group is porn. Yes. Usually they don't, those things don't really collide. No, you know? no. So I think John probably appreciates your friendship and everything. And I read years ago, one of the things that I, I really uh, respect John is he donated a lot of money to Institute, but they disappointed me because I think he said he donated money to Cato Institute, but some, oh, of, yeah. the, but yeah. some of the economists was uncomfortable receiving yes. money for pornographers. So they don't really believe in libertarian uh, with the social stigma stuff, you know. And yeah, I I vaguely remember some of that kind of stuff. I know. I mean, he's John is very generous with his donations to all of the different kinds of um, libertarian functions because yeah. there's a wide gamut of them, and uh, and he's interested in all that yeah. kind of stuff, which which parallels myself. I don't have his money. I've donated a few things here and there, but I'm interested. You know, I want to know all the different ramifications. Sure. Of, I want to make up my own mind, and I'm willing to let other people make up their mind on anything. I don't care what they want to experiment with or, or think about or whatever. I don't see that limits are, are a good way to go. Sure. And I think John's exactly the same way on yeah. that kind of stuff. He's, that's my that's my dog, Dirty and Harry, and uh, it's a little Shih Tzu. And he's he's disappointed he's not in the conversation. So, <laughs> but uh, try to keep him out. But later on, he found other institute that um, you know um, were okay with his poor money. You know. Well, and, he uh, he's very involved with Reason, and Reason is uh, Reason magazine. Reason yeah. magazine, and uh, and he's I I would imagine there isn't a person at Reason that doesn't know John, right? Because he has donated a lot of money. He's been involved in a lot of their functions, sure, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But um, my, <clears throat> but I, that were, uh, I mean, that's how I remember. But I was surprised that Cato Institute has such a. Well, I I stopped donating money to Cato uh, early on. I haven't given anything to when I get a solicitation from them, I yeah. throw it in the garbage. And Where are they? are they in DC? They're yes, in DC, right? Yes, yeah. And okay. the reason is because they are really selective. I mean, they are so connected with the with the um, I don't know Republican if, Party or something. Yeah, or? I don't know if I'd call it the Republican Party with the with the status quo. Yeah, that um, they're very uh, very political about the way they they argue their points. Now sure. they do have some things that they um, that they've been very good. They do a lot of publishing and sure. some of their books are quite good. Probably all of them have something to say. Yeah, but I don't I, I don't read into them very much at all. And a lot of that's because I got really upset in 2008 when they were panning Ron Paul. Because, yeah. I mean, they were just, 
uh, all of a sudden it's like, hey, we've got a really great libertarian candidate and you sure. guys can't get behind him, but you're going to keep asking me for money. And I, and what, was so, the, what was the problem with them with Ron Paul? I don't remember other than that they, they did not want, they would not support him. They would not. Um, Interesting. Uh, no, they were, they were with the uh, mainstream candidates and stuff because they didn't, I don't know what all their thinking was, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder how much the money influenced them because i'm sure there's a big donors and well they have a huge they just built that huge building back there mm -hmm. in washington dc it was several million dollars as i remember when they all glass structure so they'd become part of the establishment and they have to keep feeding that um feeding that in their the way they're operating so uh but i you know i was looking for a revolution still am and i and you know it really upset me that they that they did that to Ron Paul. And then, of course, 2012, um, they, you know, I, I was at the rally in UCLA down there when there was, ah, man, they filled that whole stadium. And there were people sitting, you know, climbing the trees on yeah. the outside to look in and people standing around on the outside. I mean, we lined up for a couple of hours before yeah. we could even get in there. And uh, that and that wasn't even covered. And he had many, many um, conventions, not conventions, but rallies. Um, I'm getting that, confused. Wait, uh, is Ron Paul the younger son or Ron is the, uh, the no, father? No, Ron's the father. Father. And his yeah. son is in... Uh, well, Rand Paul's a little different. I mean, he's got... Uh, he's more conservative, right? Yeah, I would say so. He's more... Um, in Mainstream, in, Republican. Yeah, yeah. Kennedy. He's definitely, tr he's definitely um, kowtowing to um, uh, all the different interests. I see. And there's, I believe... Gary Johnson was it? Is he the yeah, governor Johnson, of New Mexico? Yes, that's correct. And he was he was a libertarian candidate um, last time. Yeah, and um, in 2012, um, there is even talk about maybe he'll be on the ballot again or something. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'll probably end up voting libertarian because I'm not voting for anybody else. I don't think. <laughs> I live so, in. Uh, you live in Washington State now. I live correct. in California, mm -hmm. but most likely, I mean, my some of my friends don't believe me, but. Some of my friends think Trump's going to win California, but I, I still have to say, realistically, I think Hillary's going to win California. I, I am I am so suspicious of the voting mechanism mm -hmm. out there that I think that most of these elections are fairly well rigged. I mean, even the general elections. Yeah. I'm not saying that every election is, but <clears throat> I mean, there's a website out there called Black Box Voting, a lady in Seattle here called Beverly Harris. And um, she has she has done a lot of investigation on and how these votes have been manipulated with sure. this electronic voting system. And um, it's hard not to believe that. Um, in other words, they can go into the uh, people would vote and then their votes are changed. Yeah. And, and there's no way even the person who certifies their that county or that precinct, um, they believe uh, that they're given an honest vote. But yeah. The system is so rigged that yeah. uh, that these things can be changed, and uh, I don't know if they need to go back to a paper ballot or something else. But it makes me very, um, you know, I think a lot of more people should be aware of that. It's more than just these these um, caucuses and that where they're trying to to get a candidate. Yeah, um, because it goes even beyond that. Once they do get a candidate, then you end up having a general election. Sure, where the where the candidates. Um, are you know the the thing is can be thrown. Yeah. In other words, I I just don't believe the vote. Um, I just have a mixed feeling for the whole thing. But mm -hmm. having traveled almost close to fifty countries in the world, mm -hmm. 
it's still a better alternative out of all the places I visit for me, you know, but, um, well, the illusion's better here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, I mean, I have a, I have a different, uh, preference, but it's just mm -hmm. not going to happen. But if, if there's a three things that three policy that you could, you, you already know mine is always, always the drug war stuff, but, uh, even if it's not feasible within your lifetime, our lifetime, if there's three things that you could change in, uh, oh boy, what would you like? Um, you know, some people would want to get rid of minimum wage laws. Some people, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I wouldn't be personally trying to, um, Hmm. I, I, uh, you know, I think everybody has to make up their own mind. I would rather that everybody was their own sovereign, their own yeah. person. Um, that, that, uh, and I think that a lot of the reason that people aren't is because the money system is, is, um, is fraudulent. The money is basically counterfeit, and so people who control oh, you're not the money—oh, money and political campaign, just money no, in general. No, I'm talking about money in general. That because all the money is debt money. Yeah. That uh, except for coins, but basically it's all debt money, and <clears throat> as a result, it's counterfeit. In other words, the person who can produce, the, who can make the money, um, which uh, they. <laughs> Uh, my, mm -hmm. uh, so going counterfeit, yeah. So uh, they can if you if you can counterfeit whatever you need, whatever money you want to make, and everybody else is operating on the basis that it's all got the same purchasing value all the time. Sure, um, that person can buy up whatever they want. They want to buy judges. They want to buy assassinations. They, whatever. I mean, they basically have superpowers. They don't. Um, and I think that's the only real superpowers that are out there is that ability to to create money. And and once people understood that, I think that'd be my number one thing. If if the, if all the people would un, could understand that and realize how they're being manipulated, that um, the voting doesn't do them any good yeah. or anything like that, just realizing that their money's bad. So. Is that what they call fiat money? Well, yeah, fiat money is where you're, you know, you're creating money with paper or whatever. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean it has to be gold or silver or anything mm -hmm. like that. I'm, I'm just, but when you, when you, um, you know, when they borrow the money into existence, they only, you know, they you bought you buy a house and yeah. you, you get a mortgage on that house and you, um, so it's a hundred thousand dollars. They've just created that hundred thousand dollars, but they don't create the the interest to yeah. pay that uh, that's going to be charged on top of that loan. So that so all the people that have a mortgage, they each of them say a hundred thousand dollars a piece, a million people yeah. or whatever. Um, they've all only created the principal for or created that money, that basic money, but they didn't, they did not create the interest. Yeah. So now when they all go to pay things back, um, they have to compete among each other to get portions of their, of their neighbors cut their, the neighbors, um, right. Portion of this pie in order to pay back the interest. So it's a constant system of everybody dog eat dog and, and people, um, fighting to get enough money to pay this interest to somebody that that didn't even have the money to they just wrote a check they just wrote a a um 
I just created this um, this ledger account. Yeah. And uh, so that I, that's probably not a real good explanation, but but um, yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult subject. And then of course you, you I've spent a fair amount of time reading on it. So, uh, but I'm not expressing it as well as I wish I could. Well, you know, I, I think money is such a confusing idea especially people with no money you know yeah. <laughs> and and that's the thing is the people that are creating it have no money either yeah they just have the ability to create that money like and federal reserve right like yeah. the, well like well they created what 800 million dollars in that tarp that yeah. you know toxic asset re- recovery thing program um, yeah yeah right after that whole disaster in 2008 yes yeah. you know i mean they just basically wrote a check um kind of the way i look at the the money system is that the every if if i went and i wrote 10 one dollar checks yeah and i just wrote cash you know as the person that's gonna gonna be anybody can cash the check yeah and then i did the same thing with a five you know wrote a five dollar check 10 times or whatever and then i started using that to exchange um now whoever i pay that five dollar check to they don't go and cash it they just use it to spend it to buy something from somebody else because they believe I'm good. Yeah. That that uh, that that five dollar check from Dave is is good, and that's how we treat the government. They're just writing well. I mean, it's just it's just people inherently trust the government when they print money, and mm-hmm. the rest of the world, like our currency, is different from most other currency because we're the most powerful country in the world. Like you were saying before, uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, when you buy oil, it's based on dollar currency. So mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of faith, and and really, if you if you're being honest, it's a piece of paper. But because everybody see value in it, it's valuable. You know, it does have some purchasing power. Sure, but the more of it you have, the less purchasing power each individual sure. piece has. And and we, you know, if you know anything about history, we all hate inflation because look at the things that happened in Germany and mm-hmm. World War prior to World War Two, and even. The rise of communists in China, it was because hyperinflation, when people realize whatever the money they have and all of a sudden it could purchase less, they panic because, you know, instability in their society. So they're inclined to vote some strong armed person say, hey, I'm going to make everything all right and willing to give their liberty. And, you know, the, the hyperinflation actually helped guy like Hitler and Mao Zedong because whenever people are scared and un, un, unsure about their uh, life, uh, they want they want to vote for somebody who's going to bring stability and you know safety net back. I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Hitler's is uh, known for having um, done debt free money. That was how he got his um, how he was able to turn around the um, that Third Reich when they yeah. got started. Because um, when he came to power, I think it was in 1933, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, by 1940, he's in a world war. Yeah. And so you're talking about seven years. And then it was in the early 20s when they... Um, the Great when, Depression. Right. And, yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, Germany had, uh, was, uh, was, had, was the, um, had lost the First World War. So all the allies on the other side had, um, 
were ruling. Uh, they set up the Versailles Treaty, which uh, was very punitive towards Germany. Right after World War One, yeah. And after that, and that's what uh, a lot of that. That's where all of that hyperinflation came out of. Germany's just producing marks in order to try to um, pay that debt down. And of course, now they're let's say there's only a trillion dollars in the entire world, but I have the ability Print to money. create money. I can write another $1 trillion check. Yeah. Now, I have half the money in the world, and I've done nothing. I haven't produced anything or anything like that, And uh, but now I own, I have half the purchasing value for purchasing power yeah. of all the money in the world, only because I have that ability to write checks. Right. And if people would understand that that's what's happening to their money system, they're all working on the first trillion dollars. They're all fighting like cats and dogs to try to pay off and they're paying the interest to the guy that has the second trillion dollars all the time. Wait, well, I got to go uh, finish, mm-hmm. uh, do a quick thing with laundry. But when I come back, we'll talk a little, just quickly a Milton Freeman's theory about money supply and stuff. Then after that, we'll jump into porn because we got a little too serious. <laughs> we went from Batman to Nazis. Maybe so. we should just maybe we should just go into porn. <laughs> but but we went from Batman to Hitler. So anyway, um, I'll give me a few minutes. I'll be back. All right, we're back. It, just quick Milton Friedman yes. stuff, and I just want to hear your oh. opinion. I just want to have your opinion about a um, couple, couple economists, and we'll jump into a little bit of porn and done. Oh, I know, I know your, right. uh, your time's very valuable. Um, because I remember from Milton Friedman, he won Nobel Prize for the whole money supply theory. And, and um, you know, he basically said the government made things worse during the dep- Depression because they – they didn't end the money supply, but they. What what Milton Friedman said he should increase the supply of money, right? That's what yes. He said. Well, he yes. That, you know, that his he's a member of the Chicago School, and they believe that they can control, that that they will um, create just enough money to match the growth right. in the economy, and that's that's the Chicago School of thinking. I think the um, thinking was they were having many businesses were having problems. Mm-hmm. If they increase the supply of money, banks will have mo- more money to loan. And but in actuality, I don't know the thinking behind, but they did the opposite. They they. Well, they're doing it. They were doing the same thing that the Fed's doing now. That was the the Federal Reserve. That was their mm-hmm. mandate. Was you know, there's keep the economy stabilized. So as business grows, they need to put more uh, currency out there or more ability to borrow money and. And uh, in other words, to create more, um, more um, ways to uh, more money. Yeah. And um, and Milton Friedman was just setting a, a cap on that. Two yeah. percent annual growth or three percent annual growth, thinking that. But to me, it's all really the same thing. You're having these overlords who are wiser than everybody else and are going to. Um, are going to be able to figure out how this economy is is going to move. I'm more along the the libertarian or the Austrian school, you know, which would be what Ron Paul was, was talking about. I think what Milton Friedman was doing is uh, he didn't want political 
groups pressuring the Federal Reserve when it's convenient for them. Like when they're running for office, they're losing. They want to make sure the economy is going, then they could take a credit and have the voters vote for them. And this in- interference that he didn't like. So he basically said, if I remember right, literally have a computer monitor the money supply and economy. And like you were saying, like increase by 2% or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, and um, But that assumes that that's a linear function, that, yeah. that the economy is growing at that thing. See, I would, I would say that the Federal Reserve is a political entity as well. They mm. they are a gang in their own right. Is they have all these different um, and the people that are in the Fed they have their own interests and stuff. What I mean, you're putting somebody in power. It's that old thing of who's going to watch the the watchers. You know yeah. who's going to who's going to be over. Well, personally, I think if it's if everybody's their own person and they can all interact. You know, this is probably utopian, but yeah. they can all inter inter. Without, some people might call it anarchy, but yeah, in some know. sense it is. And it, in fact, there is a, a David Friedman believed that David Friedman's yeah, exactly his son was the anarcho-capitalist or one of them. Yeah, um, which be, be, because it's funny. Um, they have made a reference to what is it like? Uh, the federal banks are divided in twelve regions. That's correct. Yeah. Right, and the federal reserve chairman is the leader of the whole twelve. Uh, uh, well, the, representative, right? Uh, well, I'm not. No, that it's the, the primary. Um, Bank is the New York Federal Reserve because okay. that's the one that that can takes care of the bonds when the when the Treasury um, is uh, selling their Treasury sure. notes or bonds and creating the money. And so I think San Francisco is like another region. That yeah, they, yeah, certainly. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, but they're all private. They're all they're all part of that cartel, right? Which is they're creating they're creating the money, and rather than see now the. Austrians would argue that the um, that having hard currency and their leader was uh, Professor Hayek, right? Am I saying that? He's well, Hayek is Hayek is one of them. Um, he's that guy that wrote the book about Road, Road to, to Serfdom. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, Mises. Prior to Mises, it's oh, um, Mises. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and then prior. To, I mean, the uh, you would ask me this question. It starts with an M. Menger. Okay. He's the, he is the uh, one of the early guys that got this thing, yeah. got this this line of thinking going. So, but it all deals with the individual as opposed to yeah. something over the individual. You know that you all have your own your own individual rights and sovereignty, and um, or you're part of a group that's fighting other groups, yeah. um, and all that. I'm more in favor of the everybody. Um, having their own sovereign rights, but boy, how do you enforce that without sure. a function, without a some kind of rules and regulations? Yeah. The Constitution is an attempt at that. So, because you know, Milton Friedman always say he, one of his favorite countries that that that, that understand and uh, basically promote his philosophy is Hong Kong. He loved that. You know, mm. many of the business the British great. mandate. What <laughs> the British? Yeah. yeah. Until what ninety seven <clears throat> or something like that. But right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think when I took econ class, I remember um, most economists actually agree, you know, how uh, supply and demand and things like that works. But when they disagree, that's when they make news, you know. But mm. most economists tend to be rational, and uh, it's people get most. Well, I'm not sure about that. Well, but uh, I, 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 you know, I think every it's it's very difficult because. I spend a fair amount of time reading on those things. Yeah. Well, not everybody has that time. Very few p- people do. And if they are, they might be, you know, reading something else like one-handed books. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
But when, when I took the econ classes, I was worried about econ classes. Yes. And I thought accounting is going to be easy. To me, it was completely opposite. Oh. Accounting made no sense to me. Yeah. Whereas econ, when they explain things like opportunity cost, which even if you don't take econ class, that's a really good concept to know. I think right. it helps people. And I thought, wow, this is a, such a fun, rational thing. You know, it's just it's it's it just make you think, see the world differently. It and does I thought, help. I, the I, logic. That should be mandatory for people to take. And I think part of the problem is I think most people are curious about money. Uh, they are curious about inflation and supply and demand, and you know why some people are for and against minimum wage and international mm -hmm. trade and comparative advantage, all these kind of things. I think sometimes maybe they don't have a good representative explaining those concepts in a way that average person can understand. But it's a, it really is the king and the queen of social science. It's the only you know it's mm -hmm. one of the few things you get Nobel Prize for. It's I think is it's very important, but. For most people, it was never a mandatory class, I don't think. Well, see, I'm not in favor of any mandatory classes yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I'm, uh, if somebody wants to learn about that. Yeah. I mean, some people may, I mean, you look at these guys on the street that are running drug, you know, that, that old show, The Wire. Yes. I mean, and that was great watching those guys out there putting their organization to get, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, everything. It was just how to set up an organization, how to, how to make it run. And uh, they all... Doing the same thing there as, as any business. You have competitors and you have problems. You have the things to deal with with the government. You have sure. taxes. There's all kinds of stuff. So I, I, I just, I don't make, I don't believe anything should be mandatory. And we're not like now the latest controversies about these, about the transgender bathrooms, yeah. you know, where they want to have all that kind of stuff. What do you think about in that? In schools. Well, I go back to the thing, well, there shouldn't be any public schools to start with. Why should, <laughs> why should you make yeah. somebody go to a, um, you know, you're mandating um, a child. Your your person, a, a parent, uh, two parents have a have a child or more, and yeah. and you're, the government is forcing them to go to a government school to get government indoctrination. Sure. It's strictly the government's point of view. I think Mel Freeman have this notion of free choice. Like if you should decide not to send your public school, you should get X amount of voucher because you pay income tax. See, you're, but you're collecting the taxes, and yeah. I mean you're forcing people and. Uh, the best thing, in my opinion, to do is to just let it let the free market um, determine it. If a sure. parent wants to send their child to a school that has a transgender bathroom yeah. and there's no other schools out there and there's enough of those parents, there's going to be a school with transgender bathrooms. Sure. And I don't know what it'll teach, but that's not my, you know, that that's up to that parent. Yeah. And um uh, and I, I would be in favor of that kind of a schooling system sure. that would eliminate all that tax things, you know, all these because there's people that homeschool their kids. There's there's uh, some of the religious schools, although a lot of them are, you know, under dictates from the government. You know, if you're a 501c3, there's some things you can and you can't do a lot yeah. of things you can't do or you're required to do in order to maintain that tax um, uh, tax uh, yeah, exempt uh, status. Exempt, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just, um, so it's just, you got to look at your premises where, to, to quote Ayn Rand, although. Well, Alice Gibney had a documentary where Scientology was able to <laughs> persuade the government to treat them as uh, exempt yes, that's entity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess, I guess you're, you're uh, right about that. Well, right about that. What do you want to talk about porn? 
Um, not that I'm consuming that much anymore. No, 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 now I'm, that I'm a senile citizen, you don't have as much. Because when you're growing growing up as a kid, you know you didn't have access to. I mean, these no, of ki- these not. kids are no. so lucky the access that they have now. Yeah. But um, um, if you live in Seattle, you pretty much have to go either. Sometimes Seven Eleven will carry them behind the back. back well, back. when I was growing up, they didn't have the Seven Eleven. That's true. You know, it's funny. The grocery stores in those days would be open until like six o'clock at night. They would open at eight in the morning and close at six. And um, it's probably hard for people. This is in the sixties. Yeah. And fifties uh, and sixties. And then the uh, I remember when Seven Eleven came in, and Seven Eleven is their is their name. Um, uh, indicated they were open from 7 to 11 and i as a little kid i remember seeing the 7-eleven wait that's what it means that's what it means and i remember seeing this 7-eleven i never knew that yeah i saw the 7-eleven when it first got built i lived in rent are you kidding me that's that's and, what it means yeah and i saw and it what they built this 7-eleven and yeah. it was next door to uh in those days i think it was a market basket store yeah and um and I remember thinking, boy, they're really stupid. They're, how are they going to, that all you got to do is go, why should I go and buy um, a 10 cent candy bar at 7 Eleven when I can run over to Market Basket and buy it for five cents? They're going to go out of business. Yeah. Well, what happened is a lot of people wanted the convenience of going shopping from six o'clock at night to 11 o'clock yes. at night when the, when the Market Basket was closed. Right. So, Market Basket. Thank God for free market. That's right. So Market Basket, the way they reacted yeah. was they started staying open until the same hours as 7-Eleven. Well, sure. then 7-Eleven went 24 hours a day. And uh, now a lot of supermarkets are 24 hours a day, but we still have all those 7-Elevens out there. Absolutely. So none of that would have been, you know, people wouldn't understand that until it actually came about. Right. You know, like radio in the early days, if you had a, t- a radio program yeah. and you're trying to put it on the air, how do you pay for it? Now, you could mandate it, which is like you would do with a public school system. Okay, we'll just take taxes and we'll put it, right. which is what NPR is. And I personally think it's national propaganda radio because they're putting out the government's point of view. But the radio or stations... you let free market take care of it. And, and that's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. And the, they came up with these ideas of the commercials. Right. And uh, that's how people were able to pay for it, which is... It's counterintuitive, and a lot of things in in economics are exactly that way. So that's why I think I find it very fascinating. Yeah, and and I don't I don't want to get into detail because it's too long to explain. But I've always been accused by my uh, comedian friends like I am cold and mean to poor people because I'm I, I don't like minimum wage law, but they don't understand that the minimum wage law hurt the very people you're trying to help because people who ended up taking jobs a lot are people with the least, little or no job experience. And people are just assume if you had a minimum job, everyone stay at that level for the rest of their life. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. But if you if you raise the minimum wage, then if you're paying more for somebody, you're gonna be more selective and you end up hurting the very people you're trying to help. And um, you know, people just go for gut Well, they're limiting things is the way I look at yeah. it. You're just you're putting a you're putting a limit on it. Yeah. And um that's, for example, I, I do stand-up comedy. Yes. Vast majority of shows, I do it for free. But if they mandate that every comedian performance has to be paid, right. many of the comedians will never have opportunity even to start because they're not going to pay for some inexperienced person. You know, internship is another one. They agree to work at some place for free to get that experience, and 
Yeah. Um, well, it, the same thing in the insurance industry where you're having these, um, where the Obamacare has come yeah. out. And now they've mandated that you have to have this insurance. It sounds like a good idea. But I have one little dog left. He's, uh, the other one passed away last year. But um, but if I have to uh, take in, uh, he needs some care, I just take him to any vet. Yeah. And it, generally, they're going to sell you pills. But you know, that makes me feel better. I don't know if it necessarily makes the dog feel better, right. but, but I will, it maybe cost me, um, $50 for a, yeah. for a visit and what have you. Now they could come out and mandate yeah. that, look at, we've got, we got stray dogs on the street that are not being taken care of. We right. need to get an insurance program out there and force them into this whole system. Sure. And so if you would mandate insurance for all the pets of the world, then yeah. obviously, the insurance company is going to love it because you've just uh, you've mandated that you have to buy their product, and of course costs are going to go up every year. And because the money's bad, the money is being created. So when you create more money, you're inflating it. That's sure. the true idea behind inflation. And we talked about this a couple of days ago. Yeah. You know, in uh, you, I think you kind of chuckle that in, in the Silicon Valley right now, there's so many car companies are moving to Silicon Valley because mm. they're anticipating that driverless cars yes. and People make this uh, paranoia and fear about those vehicles, but who's the biggest proponent of, of promoting the paranoia? It's the insurance company because people make more mistakes. People are more careless, you know, and drunk driving and things like that. But if it's run by a machine, it's anal. It follows every yeah. speed limit. It will take in consideration uh, the turn. You will have less accidents, and uh, it's not good business for insurance because there's no need to buy insurance well, Or it lowers their rates. Yeah. It really lowers their rates. But uh, you're the one that pointed that out to me, and I thought that was quite clever. I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's you're right. The other one that you mentioned to me a long time ago was the one about that when before Los Angeles got the Rams back, you know, they didn't have any kind of um, team. team down there. And so all these other teams would use that. Like, we're going to move unless you build us a publicly supported they stadium. They take the city hostage. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'll leave Jacksonville if you don't yeah. give us a stadium. And they're scared because yeah. they don't want to lose their team to L.A. Yes. And that happens all over. They play people off among yeah. themselves. And that's what really frustrates me. And that's why I think I'd like to see, goes back to that idea of everybody being able to, to um, understand how money works yeah. and how, this, um, how it creates all these um, problems between peoples. Because, you know, um, there's a, uh, Seattle have a, is there Stranger, those weekly yes. magazines? Right? Oh, yeah, yes. LA mm -hmm. has LA Weekly. Yeah. And uh, there's one in uh, Orange County called OC Weekly. And there's one of the funny uh, pages I like is Ask a Mexican. And, and this guy, <laughs> all these people sometimes ask rude questions about Latino people, but sometimes it's a good one. So he can't explain in a humorous, but in, in the same way, educational one. Maybe they, they need someone like Ask Dave where... <laughs> They say, why Why are they doing this? This makes no sense. And you ex give economic explanation. And, you know, because I think for most people, it's very mystifying. It was mystifying for me until I took econ class. Like, once they explain, it's almost like, you know, when they do the eye examination, right. they put it, is it more clear with this lens or this one? You know, like, get, studying econ, seek world in a more clear, rational way that, it wasn't very familiar with, you know. Now that you say that, there's a, there's a book out there, and I wish I could remember the, I should remember the, oh, Block, Walter Block is the author. Mm -hmm. He's uh, with the, um, uh, is it Lou, uh, Lou Rockwell, I think, um, dot com. 
and they're a free market site that uh, that deals with the Austrian economics. He wrote a book a long time ago. I don't remember the title of it, but he um, he uh, explains a lot of these. Uh, there's a cartoon on the front yeah. of the book, and uh, the cartoon is this very wealthy man, yeah. obviously a plutocrat, walking down the street, and there's this guy on the on the street uh, who's begging money, yeah. and the plutocrat. Uh, and he's reaching out. The the beggar is reaching out and touching the plutocrat, who's yeah. pulling his arm away, and he's telling him to go inherit his own money. And I, that book is just about all all kinds of, you know, why we need prostitutes. How does this come about? Not how, why we need them, but how this all comes about. Right. All the free market ideas behind um, these different um, things that pop up. You know, yeah. drug de- deals, and you know, I have, it's been many years since I read that book, but. Uh, but if you just um, Google the name Walter Block um, or go to Amazon, I think you'd, I, his book would be on there. I highly recommend uh, Ross Robert. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. He, uh, he's, he is a professor at Stanford, and he's also part of Hoover Institute. But um, I don't necessarily agree with everything, but he has a guest on his podcast, Econ Talk. It's really fun to listen to his – You know, he will talk to people who are – Economists, but they're Keynesian or whatnot. Maybe he doesn't agree with them, but he humanized people by talking about economic issues. And he's been doing this for t- one of the oldest podcasts hmm. in the country uh, world. Is he's been doing it for ten years from wow. Stanford, and uh, the, the podcast is called Econ Talk and the Library of Economics and uh, and Liberty. And uh, he's he's more. I think he is a libertarian guy. But yeah, check it out. If you know, if you're curious about um, economic issues, econ talk with him. And you could scroll like there's over ten years worth of podcasts, and you could pick whichever right. one you want you want to talk to. He even talked to like uh, Milton Freeman and um, uh, Gary Becker's. Gary S. Bickers, I think. Oh, uh, he was one of the yeah. uh, acolyte of uh, Freeman, but he used to write for Business Week. And he was more like explaining about um, uh, not brain power, but, uh, you know, some people have capital, money, mm-hmm. but uh, others have um, their intelligence, right? Creativity and things like that. And if you let those people roam around in a free society, they could do whatever they want. You know, mm-hmm. look at all that. Uh, Russians and Chinese, they they created this complex where they say, hey, just do your startup like Silicon Valley. But there's all this regulation. Silicon Valley happened because not because government intervened. Yeah. It was a free individual decided to go there and start um, companies. Hewlett Packard, they're both students yeah. at Stanford, and they were thinking about going to work for some big company. And I don't know who their professor was, but hey, you guys are smart. You should start a company on your own. And they did. They Right. They killed the packer yeah. in a garage. Nobody forced them to make it. It's the idea that they had. They thought they could create a product and service better than anyone else. And they did. And they were competing with IBM. Here they are. And you have Google, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter well, Twitter is in San Francisco, but you know, Netflix, they're all in the Silicon Valley. And it's because of these these genius individuals saw mm. that they needed some some product or service that they didn't see. They were offering, or they could provide it better. Like John Stalliano, going back yes. to the beginning, he saw porn, but he didn't see any porn that he liked. Women wear the big asses and things like that. And I know you might laugh, but he brought this goods and service that you know yes, was undersupplied, and he did it, and he found a lot of success because of, because of it. You know, so 
Um, and, and he funded it all his own by himself. Credit card. He I took, took it from, it, yeah. exactly. He took. He didn't took get any. Risk. He took a huge, huge risk, and um, and you know he made it. He, it's you know I I have a lot of respect for him because of how he did it, and for a number of reasons. One being that we're really good friends, and his product is very good. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it was innovation because nobody thought about guns. It was all like a film production where you have a crew and grip. Yes, yeah. Yes. And when when he was a young person, he saw a new innovation, camcorder. Uh, he realized I could be a performer, I could be a director, I could be a producer, I could write a script, I have to get girl. All of a sudden you cut all these other people that, that traditionally have been used to make a big production out of porn. He did it. He changed the business, really. And... Uh, Gonzo stuff is very, very popular yes. because of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know all the ins and outs or whatever. I just know little dots and I can kind of connect the dots sure. like anybody. Uh, um, John John had his, um, went through his tribulations to create his company before I met him. Sure. So I wasn't privy to any of that. But, uh, um, but, you know, we've talked about a few things. And that I just have a lot. I have I've started several businesses in my own life, so I know how difficult it is and how long it. And I started mine cash poor, which yeah. is the same way he did, although he did have the. I didn't have credit cards when I started mine. Yeah, because I. Uh, but he did have credit cards that he could borrow on there. Sure. But you're paying a huge interest rate on right. those. That's twenty something percent or whatever. I mean, that's incredible. That's a huge gamble. And uh, but he did it. Yeah. Um. And I think. Um, Oh, why am I forgetting his name? He is the management guru. Um, oh, Drucker? Yeah. Peter Drucker? No, no, not no. Peter. Oh, yes, Peter Drucker. And he was talking about credit card is another. I don't know who created it, but no. it was innovation too because uh, unless you have a house or something, uh, you know, there most people, if you use credit, wisely mm-hmm. it could be converted into success like john well most but, people that's how most money is created yeah when you when you really think about it most of the money is um you go to the store you buy something f- right. for a hundred dollars and you um you give a credit card over and yeah. then they take and uh, uh you would sign a uh, sign a, a slip a credit slip yeah um and uh that says that you know yoshi's gonna pay this hundred dollars back with interest sure um, if he doesn't pay it in the prescribed period of time, mm-hmm. that that uh, will be sent through to the credit card company. That immediately goes on their balance sheet. Sure. So now they have got an asset. Right. Now, what is the asset? Just, the asset is that Yoshi promises I'm going to pay back sure. $100 in the future. Yoshi just created $100 out of nothing. Right. Now they have an asset on their balance sheet. If it's a bank, which most credit cards are, then that hundred dollars now can can be um, lent out. Right now, they have to keep a certain amount of that money in reserve. Yeah. We'll just say ten percent. That means they can lend out ninety dollars of money that Yoshi created, and uh, and it gets it goes out in the community. Well, that ninety dollars can will go back into the bank, and and ninety percent of that ninety dollars are. Dave, 80- for, let's let's say argument's sake um, in the beginning. A thousand people download this podcast, right? Yes. By the time, there's probably like two people actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> probably. Uh, I, I, you know, when I was just talking to you last 30, 40 minutes, like there's certain concepts, like I, I forgot even then, you know, because if you don't read it all the time, you, I, oh, I do, yeah, I, it's I, very difficult. I, Absolutely. I, I, I do forget it. But um, 
It it is a fun subject, believe yes. it or not. But most stereotype that people have economists is all glasses. They're doing number charts and graph and so on. But um, if if you have a chance, just give yourself a chance to read up on it. And uh, for me, um, it never ends. Uh, legalizing prostitution, legalizing drugs, and I don't like this whole border notion. I really hate that governments are allow prevent me from entering their country or leaving their countries, you know? It's just, I think people vote with their feet and uh, I don't like what's going on in North Korea because most of those people are just pretending to like the yeah. dear leader because if they don't, they get shot. But when you give people freedom, they leave. If you do not doing a good job of protecting me, protecting my property and uh, doing all kinds of corrupt things, I'm gonna leave this country. You have you you have given me reason to leave your country and that's how she uh, uh, people be giving freedom to leave, and uh, you know there is a along those along those lines. There is the Future Freedom Foundation. Jacob Hornberger's. He's a wonderful man, and uh, his site is just www.fff.org. Um, yeah, and uh, you go in there, and you will be amazed at some of the stuff, the things that they will argue about. Or yeah. not argue, but when I say argue, that they will. Yeah. they're making their point. Yeah, and um, he's and great because I remember one time you, like I said, you were kind enough to give me his periodical for two years. I read it, but I've seen also when he was talking public how he made you feel good to be immigrant coming to this country yes. he basically said thank you for coming to mm -hmm. our country you took a lot of risk that's correct and the fact that you're willing to do that and most people do not want to leave home it took a lot to leave there yes. so you're a risk taker and uh, this is a country made by risk takers so you're going to be a great boon to this country and uh, whoever he was saying that to that person just broke down and started crying because you, that's not reception a lot of people get. And P.J. O'Rourke, who mm -hmm. is libertarian slash conservative writer, uh, in one of his books basically said, the Cubans who are willing to risk in a shark infested water to come to Miami, those are the people who will be good for this country, not mm -hmm. this fear mongering by Donald Trump of the world, you know? And uh, I believe uh, legalizing prostitution and, and uh, uh, legalizing drugs, but the freedom of movement to leave, I don't like this place. I'm leaving. I think mm -hmm. people should be given that yes. right to do that. Yes, it's their it's their future. They're, yes, they're allowed to do what they. Uh, I believe that they're allowed, just like you're saying, that they're allowed to do what they what they uh, want, as long as they're not yeah. harming somebody else. Sure, that old libertarian pr principle. Uh, well, I, I, I we better get ready because I have to go see my brother, and I think we should stop by mm -hmm. uh, your sister's place and hello to her. But yeah, um, Dave, it's, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, whenever he explains construction business, it's really interesting. Love econ. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like Library of Alexandria over here because no. you had so many econ books. But you know, like the fact that you you are open to public being honest about porn too. You know, and um. Yeah, I don't want to hide stuff, you know, like transparency, you know, for freedom of idea. So, you know, I had the difference with John, but econ and porn, you can't argue with him. He 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 mm -hmm. loved both of those things. Like that's correct. Twin yeah. pillars, you know, and um, and dancing, dancing. Yeah, he likes dancing and sports. Um, uh, quick note: uh, Are you um, do you? Do you think drugs will be completely legal within yes. the next 50 years? Oh, I, do I think it will? Uh, in 50 years. Well, it depends on what the plutocrats want, the people yes. that are in power. That's that's what depends on it. Now, 
all the populace can change that. Yeah. But they have to act in the same, in, in their interest, the same way the plutocrats are yeah. are acting in their interest. And for the last, you know, since time began, it's always been some sort of, you know, I guess plutocrats is, plutocrats is the best um, term for them. Elites, people yeah. that, that really... Um, they can uh, they are controlling the money supply the money system and they can you know there's they have superpowers whenever i think about that word i think about those special interest group during the roman time putting pressure on all the emperor and caesars afterwards and uh, it's probably true for places like russia where putin has a lot of power but i'm sure he has a backing of the rich people oh, uh, yeah. during you know their deed and i i, I believe i love free market but we had this conversation too mm -hmm. 2008 they were they made all this gamble which is fine it's their money they lost everything they want the government to bail them out so they don't you know they're right that's not free market no no not at all and it's it's not right uh, i mean i know it sounds radical but i'd rather certain automobile company go bankrupt because they need yes. to learn the lesson they're irresponsible and we build them out. Well, know? it's the high, highest use of the money, the highest use that, that should prevail. Yeah. And obviously they weren't the best, highest use of that resource. Right. And um, the market have answered yes. about having cars. Yes. The Japanese and German will come in here and now Koreans. And I even heard Chinese might get into the business of a car. So right. the market will figure it out and we should have more faith in it. But all right, Dave. Um, yes. Uh, I'm glad you went to, you know, you're, you, you, you were, you know, we, we're running out of time, but you were telling me the turn of uh, downtown Seattle where all the sex business you, you, no, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, your, your, you know, your stuff. You I know, know your, my sex business. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that econ and you have very good taste in economics and porn and, um, but thank, thank yes. you very much. You well, know, thank you, you for having me. Yoshi. Yeah, you, you, you helped me, um, you know, well, you, it was a mutual, we both benefited each other. You you helped me uh, let me stay with you and um, you know if I don't I think I don't think if it wasn't for you I would have gotten a job with Evil Angel and and Rick Hall too mm. and uh, uh, Jeff Martin those three people that I met through um, Evil Angel booth but yeah it's um it's sad I, I just like we were saying I missed the booth but time yeah. has changed and you know um, I was saying John was smart enough to use cam quarter and uh, mm -hmm. film for himself but once we all get old you know i think a lot of the people in the porn business made a mistake they probably didn't anticipate the power of the internet they all they probably thought the biggest danger to porn will be republican party and christian coalition but I, even i didn't see I, I didn't see either but internet is the very thing that it's hard to keep ahead of the curve yeah it really is it's, it's, in any business yeah it's always some young snuck kid that yeah you know, because they'll look at it from a different angle that you weren't thinking of at all. Yeah, and they created Brazzer and all those mm -hmm. companies too. So yes, absolutely. And the whole cycle. That's why again. you don't want to mandate anything. Sure. Because the solutions are out there and they will pop up. Yes. If we let it happen. Right, and if if you're sick and you have cancer, uh, mandating government sponsor medication, I don't really have a lot of trust in. No. The free market will take it out because if you give people enough incentive to make something, they could make money. They will check. Well, there's a, there's a number of things uh, out there that claim that cancer has been cured, yeah. or that there are cures for it that are out there. Now, yeah. I haven't investigated a whole lot, but yeah. but it's the same idea, you know. Um, yeah. Maybe one of those cures is working right, or would work. But. And today, 
I'm watching HBO Game of Thrones and everybody's upset <laughs> that uh, there's only a few, uh, you know, six episodes left in this season, seven and six next two seasons. But if HBO is not doing a good job, some other network will make another head show. And this is how it works. Like competition, freedom, and let the free market take care of all. So, all right, Dave. Um, yes. Thanks and um, um, thank you. You don't have a Twitter account, Facebook, right? No, 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 no. All right. If you have a question for Dave, just email me, then I'll send it to Dave. That way, I'm protecting yeah. his privacy. But if you have a smart question about econ or sex business in Seattle or construction, just email me at dumbyoshi at gmail com, and I'll send it to Dave. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Right. Thanks. Thank you always, Dave. You you've been a great friend and. Uh, uh, thanks for all your help, and I'm, I'm glad you're mm -hmm. back in Seattle and go Huskies. Football. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, go guys. Huskies. Thanks.